Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. This week's guest is a startup mum. Anastasia Leng is the founder and CEO of CreativeX, an automated creative excellence platform that aims to advance creative expression through the clarity of data. Prior to this, Anastasia founded another startup called Hatch, and she was at Google before that. She's also mum to two kids, and has a pretty wild startup mum story which we discuss on the show. On top of this, you'll get to learn about the benefits of being a malleable CEO, the power of changing perspective as much as making more tangible changes, and the sweet spot between the comfort and danger zones. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santarasanan and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to this week's episode of Startup Dads, or actually, this time, it's Startup Mums. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Anastasia Leng to the show. Anastasia, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Really well. It's the, I don't know about you, but Christmas is the time of glad tidings and tremendous stress if you're on an enterprise technology firm. So much stress. Q4 is the worst. Oh, it's the worst. Exactly. Q4 is the worst. And the worst thing is that Q4 is not done until fucking Christmas, right? That's a, it's okay. There are no kids listen to this show, so I swear <laughs> it is okay. Um, yeah, on, on top it, of all the work stuff, if I sound like I'm shivering, it's because the boiler is just broken in our house. So uh, it's, you know, Q4 madness plus stuff like that, that makes this really a year I want to conclude. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I'm pretty sure this time last year we were talking very much in a similar way with the pandemic, but this is not pandemic mums or pandemic shows. So let's jump into it. So Anastasia, I'm super interested to talk to you. You've got a story that I'm interested to unpack with you. So can you tell us a little bit about the time when you became a startup mum? Sure. Yes. So I started my first company in in 2012, ran that company for about three years before it pivoted to what we do now, which was in 2015. And my first daughter was born in 2018. So I was, you know, depending on how you counted, sort of six years into my startup journey, about three years into my my kind of current company. And, you know, it was, it's strange because it was really terrifying on one hand, but I felt like it wasn't something I wanted to continue to put off any longer. And there was this fear that I didn't know what kind of CEO or founder it would make me. I didn't know how it would adapt. I felt a lot of fear about letting my team down, letting myself down, you know. And the paradoxical thing about all of it is that having my daughter has made me much more ruthless at prioritizing and I think arguably a much better CEO than I was before I had kids. I've always struggled, you know, I kind of said yes to everything and did everything, etc. And having kids no longer makes that possible. But actually, in some ways, that is a, a blessing more than a curse. Yeah, for sure. And we've never talked about this, actually. So this is a really interesting question I'd like to ask you. Are you the CEO you thought you would be? Because I think something you've touched on there, which is something that's certainly in my mind is, you know, when you have a startup and it takes up so much of your life, you're like, how on earth? And what am I going to be when I have to balance these things? So are you? <laughs> you know, it, it's a really difficult question to answer, because what I find is as the company grows, you change as well. Um, yeah. And both your your appraisal of how well you're doing changes, the what's expected of you changes. It's something that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment, which is because the company is evolving quite fast. 
And so, you know, I didn't intentionally, some people kind of set out and they're like, I'm going to be CEO, I'm going to run things, you know, and that wasn't me. I'm sort of an accidental CEO, I think. So I, I didn't, unfortunately, for better and for worse, probably start out with kind of a clear definition of this was the CEO I was going to be. I think there were some principles that I've always held very, very dear. One was, you know, being kind of very present with the team, trying to create a culture with very little hierarchy, trying to create a culture where feedback and criticism flows both ways. So it's not just sort of the CEO criticizing everyone, but I receive feedback and I constantly improve as well. And I I think that has always stayed true. But I think you start out, at least I started out with a lot of assumptions about what it meant to be a CEO. And I think the bigger the company gets and the longer I stay in it, you know, the more those assumptions are being challenged and questioned. And that's not a bad thing. It's interesting to hear you say that because I've had a similar perspective on HX, the, the company that I set up with my co-founder, which is I've always said that I'll be CEO as long as it makes sense for me to be CEO, right? And not put myself under the pressure to try and, and to set the invariant thing as being CEO. Yeah. And the company has to change. And to some extent that can probably take the pressure off in some ways. I mean, the pressure is always there, but it's interesting to hear you frame it that way because I think if you can be malleable, as a CEO and open to how the company changes you and as much as you change the company, it's a very powerful thing. Yes. The way I've always thought about it is, you know, I remember this drawing when I was little, it always stayed to me. I think I, someone showed it to me in about fifth grade, which was, it, it talked about this kind of concept of, of a comfort zone, right? It had like three concentric circles. And then the first one, it was, it said, Hey, this is your comfort zone. And right outside the comfort zone, it, it was kind of a layer called the discovery zone. And outside the discovery zone was the danger zone. And I've had this at key moments in the startup journey where I felt like I was certainly outside my comfort zone, but I didn't know if I was in the discovery zone and the danger zone because the danger zone is like, look, you've gone too far. You probably shouldn't be in the zone. You need to kind of rein it back a little or change course a little bit. And I've had these moments where, you know, one was when we first raised our, our Series A funding and all of a sudden, you know, the company started growing and the expectations grew. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is me. And you know, inevitably, somehow I managed to listen and learn and adapt to a point where I felt like, okay, I'm doing all right here. But I am open to the fact that, you know, there may be a time at some point where I really do go into the danger zone and I am no longer mm. the right person for this company. I hope that won't happen, but I am open to it happening because at the end of the day, doing what's best for the company is is ultimately what's probably best for me too. I love that. I've never heard that before, which I think is a really, it's an awesome framing, that kind of comfort discovery and danger zone. And it kind of, it's one of those great ideas that seems really obvious after you describe it, but it's a good barometer actually, isn't it? To think about, to ask yourself where you are. Yeah. Cause I, you know, most founders and CEOs tend to get bored in the comfort zone. So they constantly seek the discovery zone, but I think in seeking the discovery zone, you end up in danger zones. The question is, do they eventually subside to a, a discovery zone or do you stay in there? Right. And then, and you won't, you know, oftentimes you don't know the answer when you're in it. It's kind of like starting a new job as well, right? Where you're in this thing and everything is new. The lingo is new. The people is new. The way of working is new. Sometimes the industry is new or the job is new. And, and there's, at least for me, there's always been that question of like, can I do this or have I gone too far? And I've had, you know, similar as to when, when having a kid, I thought, you know, can I do both of these things to a level that I'm happy with? And by the way, that question hasn't gone away. I still struggle with that question to this day. I agree. And I think, you know, one of the main aims we have on the show is to talk about the realities of trying to do two extremely important things in your life at the same time, right? And for the record, I think it's probably a kind of complicated tension that persists as long as you have, you know, the business in your life. 
It is. It is. And I certainly have not resolved it. You know, my husband and I joke about the fact that, you know, we have three children, our two daughters and, and the company, right? And they are each equally demanding and <laughs> and require trade-offs. But, you know, I, I thought at some point you kind of would get the balance of it. And what I've realized is I, I now look at balance as more of a long-term goal rather than a short-term one. I, I no longer think I will accomplish balance day-to-day or week to week or maybe even year to year, but I hope to get it throughout the course of my life. That's a really great framing again, long-term versus short-term. I think aiming for short-term balance and running a startup is a recipe for <laughs> I don't just think it's possible. <laughs> I yeah. just don't think it's possible. No. So can I ask Nana Stacey, because something, again, I love to talk to founders who are slightly further down the journey than me, because my daughter, Evie, she's going to be two on Sunday, actually. So, you know, she's been alive for as half as long as HX has been alive. <laughs> but one of the things that I often think about now is just, you know, HX is certainly not a kind of slam done deal success, but I have a little bit more agency about the changes I can make, you know, and I think this is one of those important things that you have to do as a founder is make sure that you put your own seatbelt on and you're an oxygen mask on, right? Make the changes that allow you to thrive. Looking back on the changes that you've been able to make and that you've made as Picasso has grown and you have grown and your family and your children have grown. What are the changes I suppose you've made that have really helped kind of find maybe or that you think are helping you on the quest for long-term balance? You know, I, I think a lot of them have been perception and mental roadblock changes. So when I first started, I derived a lot of my value from being the person who did everything. And I've always had this association of myself as being the person who worked hardest and longest. Like there is no one who could beat me at the stamina game, right? Um, And the reality is I would forego sleep. I would stay up late at night. I would never sort of get sick of working. And the reality is you have kids and some very real kind of physical realities set in. You need sleep and you no longer have full control of your time and things like that. And so things that I've done is I've tried to be a lot more ruthless at asking myself, what are the things that only I really can do and should do at the company? And every year, I have a coach, by the way, which is kind of a something I was resistant to for time, but has been one of the biggest unblocks in terms of being able to look at my own performance a little bit more objectively with someone else's help. And one of the exercises that he and I go through is we make like a pie chart of what am I spending my time on today? And what do I think I should be spending my time on? And then you actively remove, you know, you kind of slowly make a plan to remove the things that you are doing that you shouldn't be doing. So, you know, as part of it, like having kids sort of accelerated the idea of that and made me much more protective of my time because that time now influenced someone else. I think one of the things I've always struggled with is I've always been very cavalier with my own time because it's me. But then once you think about it, this is time that's being taken away from your children, then the equation does change a little bit. And so I I don't know if there's, you know, kind of this one actionable thing. I think perhaps it was the realization that this wasn't just about me anymore. There were other people. And that for me was a big unblock that kind of really, really reframed the way I looked at my own time and the value of my own time. I think that's an awesome answer. I asked this question in various forms to the guests that we have on the show. And, you know, sometimes you get very tangible changes. Like some people, you know, we had someone on the show a few weeks ago. It's like, well, I put an executive layer in. 
that's a completely legitimate strategy as well. But I feel like for me, I don't think it matters. We're at the similar stage. HX is a post-Series A company and we're putting executives in. And there's no doubt that that makes a massive difference, right? A, mainly because I've got no fucking idea what I'm doing. So having executives who are professionals really helps, you know. But the reality of the situation is it doesn't take away that essential tension ever. <laughs> and actually the framing, that pers- changing your perspective rather than anything else is, is a really powerful, important thing and something that you can do at any time. It doesn't take a six-month hiring process to do. Yeah. The other thing that I found that certainly has been helpful for me, though it's, it's controversial, is my husband and I did sit down and talk about, you know, sort of what are each of our priorities at this moment in time? Because the reality is, at least for us, we haven't been able to both be equal in terms of how we prioritize our our careers and equal parents. And what that's led to is a feeling of perpetual guilt and perpetual sort of underperformance. And so a conversation that he and I have tried to have every year is, of course, if a decision needs to be made, like family is always a priority, but on a day-to-day, it may not be. And I think sometimes it feels really terrible to say that out loud, but us having those conversations has actually a, aligned our expectations around like, hey, maybe this person's going to pull a little bit more weight here than the other, but also about taking the guilt away from always wishing you were home at a certain time or you were 100% present every day or whatever the case may be. So I think sometimes saying some of those difficult things like, hey, my family's not going to be a priority day to day for the next three months because I need to raise my Series B. It's tough to say, but I actually find it it helps create peace in the home as well as peace in the mind. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the world has absolutely changed for the better in terms of the emphasis that has been put on kind of family life and all of those things. But again, it comes down to that point you were saying about long-term balance versus short-term balance. Yeah. It's like, what's that equation of value? It's not something that you can, you sometimes have to make the short-term sacrifices for the long-term benefits. And I think you're right. It is to some extent in a kind of slightly strange way, controversial, but it's also really important to be honest. I had a amazing founder last week on the show, Josh Voller, who sold his first business to Epic Games, the creator of Fortnite. And he's just had his first child. And he was talking about how he wants to be a role model and the best he can be for his child. And that drives a tension between him having to make occasionally choices that might not be optimal along the family axis but they allow him to be the person he wants to be for his child and to inspire and kind of be the best dad he can be. And that's a complex balance that's not solvable just by looking at kind of, are you at home at five every day? That makes you a great mom. Yes. Yes. I remember when I was pregnant with my older daughter, my mom gave me this advice that always stayed with me. She said, you can fit your life around this child or you can fit this child around your life. And I, I think that, you know, the point she was trying to make is the happier you are, being yourself, probably the happier and more peaceful and stable your family life will be. I remember someone, a dad who actually I was interviewing, nothing to do with startup dads for a a job when we were pregnant with Evie. He was saying, you know, children get tremendous comfort in knowing what's happening next. And you will too. Yeah, that's true. Very true. I was like, you're right. I think the fact that really stuck with me is like, yeah, I really do as well. You know, on that off chance that she actually goes to bed on time and she gets up on time, I feel tremendous comfort. (laughs) Amazing. I'd like to kind of go back to that startup mum inception point, because you've got a very interesting story about your time when you were raising funding and something I don't think would happen in this day and age, or maybe we'll talk about it, where a terrible investor pulled out because they found out you were pregnant. Can we talk a little bit about that and what that was like? 
Sure. Yeah. So I was pregnant with my older daughter at the time and I was about eight months pregnant, but I, I wasn't really showing bizarrely. Wow. I, I was I was quite small when I was pregnant with my first daughter. And we were raising our Series A and we were in the final round, the final kind of partner meeting for an investor. And, you know, at that time I was debating whether or not to be proactive about telling, because especially if I wore like a relatively, you know, kind of loose sweater or jumper, I don't think it was it was obvious that I was pregnant. And so we had this sort of final meeting that was meant to be the kind of green light meeting for going ahead. And I thought, you know, you want to start every relationship from a place of trust and openness. And um, right before we kicked off in the meeting, I, I said, no, I just wanted to let you know, I am eight months pregnant. I will be going on uh, maternity leave for a couple of weeks. My older daughter was due to be born in November, which, which she was. So I was planning to take six weeks off. Again, about half of that was over the Christmas period and be back at work in January. Again, I was very lucky in that my husband had very generous paternity leave and all that. Anyway, long story short, we had this meeting, which I thought went well. And I got a call afterwards saying, you know, they've decided not to go ahead. But, you know, it's fair enough, right? It happens. But I wanted to understand why. And the reason they gave me was they said that they had concerns about my pregnancy. And when I asked what those concerns were, they said that they were concerned that I would not want to go back to work after I had my child, which was right. which was really interesting, right? And I think it was the reason why I think it's an interesting use case is that a they were very vocal about it, which which I really respect. I have to say because I think other folks would have just made up some reason about you know total addressable market and and <laughs> let you kind of get on with it. But they were like, look, we have concerns. We have two concerns about your pregnancy. One is you won't want to go back to work. And the second one is like, what if something happens to you during the birthing process and the sort of the key person effect, right? And I, I think what, what I found really shocking about that was how do you convince someone that you're going to want to go back to work after you have a child? Because what this really is, is a question of intent and, and commitment, and I initially thought, you know, maybe I'll have my investors talk to this person or whatnot, but then decided that sometimes these things happen and they're terrible, but they're actually blessings in disguise. And for us, it really did force us to just say, you know what, we were close enough to break even anyway. So luckily we didn't need the funding. Um, we were okay on our own, but I had this dream of kind of going on maternity leave, having a series A done and completed and of course, that, that didn't happen, right? So I went in with all the financial uncertainty that I, I'd had before. It's an interesting situation because I think this probably happens to a lot of people, but they probably don't know as explicitly as to why it's happened. They suspect it, but but they don't know. So at least I knew. And sometimes the clarity in itself is helpful. Yeah, you're remarkably level-headed about it. And I think if you're a founder, you don't spend your time dwelling on these things. You need to crack on and move on, right? I do wonder, though, you know, about how I think about this a lot as a and I don't try to at all equate the difficulties a founder dad has with a founder mum because we don't have to eject a child from our body. But I wonder what it's like for founders who say my wife is pregnant. I'm having a kid. I, I find it hard to relate to, but maybe that's easy to say now. Yes. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, certainly you men tend to not be penalized for having families. Historically, they are rewarded, right? So, so at least there, there's a lot of data around, like historical data around promotions and things like that. And at least back in the day, having a child was a surefire way to get a raise because now you had a family and therefore you could support. Yeah. Yeah. You, you would be compensated according to your growing family. I think that's, that's obviously a little bit less the case 
these days. But I don't think having a child was ever seen for men to be a source of conflict or a detractor of their commitment to the company they started. I never knew that was sort of a factor. And I think for anyone who knows me, the chance of me not going back to work was, I mean, slim to none. I had plenty of opportunities where it made logical sense to stop doing this thing, and I did not. But the question is, how do we change that perception? And I think the only way you really can is by constantly having examples of women and men who are parents and who are building great, successful companies. Because patterns, I think, unfortunately, in, you know, I've been told repeatedly that investment is a game of Probably pattern too. recognition, right? Yeah. And so the more patterns we have where they see, hey, you can have both of these things, I think the easier it is to change the tide. A hundred percent. And that's absolutely what the show is about a little bit, because, you know, the reality of the situation is, and this is the reason that I find it so strange, because I try to think about whether that, you know, it's kind of chilling, the notion of that happening. Like if it happened to me, like if we raised a series B, I was like, we're having another kid. And they're like, sorry, we're not sure. Whereas as you rightly say, it feels extremely improbable that someone would go, wow, they'd be like, good on you, found a dad, right? Without realizing that it's Sarah who does all the actual hard work. Yes. In some ways you become like a blog post, right? Where they're like, oh, look at this great founder having it all, having the company and having a family and you can do everything. And here we are promoting the work-life balance of our portfolio companies. And I, I think that that still happens for women, obviously, but I think there's still an unhealthy perception that in, in the same conversation that, you know, when we put in our parenting leave at Creative X, we had a lot of debates internally where some people thought, well, we should give more parenting leave to women than to men. And I thought, you know, had my husband not had the generous parenting leave that he had, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do. And then you start to get, well, what about people who are adopting children, all of that? Like, I don't want to make a distinction. A parent is a parent. And so I pushed very hard to say, look, everyone, the company gets three months full pay, however they have a child, whether they birthed biologically, whether they adopt it, whether they identify as male or female, like, you need time to bond with your child. And actually that time is good for the whole family unit. And I don't want to distinguish that a mom is more important than a dad. You're absolutely right. And I think, as you said, that's kind of the most powerful action you can take, right? To balance things out. Did it change your mindset? And I, I suppose you had the job of giving birth to a child for four weeks later. So I can't imagine it was necessarily something that you had a huge amount of time to do. But did it change your approach to pitching? It did. It, well, it put me off to telling people I was pregnant. So it's funny, the investor that led our, our Series A, eventually, I had the final partner meeting with them on my due date. Oh, wow. Um, I was a couple of days late. So I had a final partner meeting with them on my due date. And what had happened was, it was one of those unusually sort of warm October days. You know, it's, it's easier to hide this in the wintertime with bulky jumpers. Yeah. And so I remember sort of showing up to this meeting and I was wearing like a cape and then a trench coat. And I, I looked like crazy bag lady with all my sort of, you know, flowy garments. And I pitched them and I, I you know, explicitly, I, I did not sort of talk about my pregnancy at all. If they would have asked, I would, of course, tell them truth. But I just I did not volunteer that information. They wanted to kind of finalize some of the terms maybe a couple of weeks later after I'd given birth. And so, you know, at that point, you know, obviously a lot of the stomach goes down and all of that. And only about a year into our relationship together, somehow I'd managed, I brought up the fact that, you know, I said something about my daughter. Wow. And they were like, we wondered if you were pregnant, but then we saw you three weeks later and you weren't. So we were like, oh, she must've just been wearing like a bulky jumper. So they, they never knew. So it's sort of a, a little bit of a joke now, but you know, 
the thing is, it doesn't feel good to do that because if you're kind of metaphorically getting in bed with your investors, you want to have this open relationship. But what I've come to realize is that relationship is earned and perhaps doesn't necessarily organically happen from day one. For sure. And I think I was reading something which was particularly when it comes to investors, which or people in general, actually, but applied in the startup world, which is you can only really trust what people do, right? Not what they say. Yeah. And it just takes a little bit of time in any relationship to do that because, you know, the pre-investment stage is fundamentally about hearing what people say. Yeah. And it's only afterwards <laughs> that you see what they do. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think this is where in some ways this incident or whatever we want to call it was a blessing in disguise because if this was someone who had some issues or concerns about my having a family, then I, that would have been a very difficult dynamic to work through being investors, as well as it's probably a blessing in disguise to how they react to unexpected or unpredicted events where you really want investors who are going to go along for the ride with you. And I, I don't think this person was it. No, I think the way you framed that is absolutely critical because, yeah, you look back on that, it, it, to some extent, they gave you the early warning, right? The early warning um, sign, exactly. That's it. We had an amazing investor, Leila Zania from Kindred VC, who talked a lot about this, about how actually when she looks at founders, it's like having a child is one of the most difficult things they'll do, let's be very clear. But she's like, I want to give them the agency and how they manage their life. Like I judge them on how they manage challenges and risk. It's not like a special thing that knocks, that promotes them up or down in terms of their ability to be a great CEO. It's a, a thing that human beings do. And she framed that really well. She's like, as an investor, I need to give them agency to make the right, take on the right challenges. It's like that applies to their personal life as much as their work. And it's a really good framing, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. So Anastasia, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids? Ah, the biggest lesson. So I think that the biggest thing that I would want to pass on to my kids is, and it's a very simple one, is simply to give things a shot and not let uncertainty or insecurity or fear stop you from potentially venturing into that danger zone. You know, I didn't start out wanting to be a CEO or thinking I could be a CEO, but here I am <laughs> still standing somehow. And every day has really been a learning journey of its own. But the good thing is, is that the conclusion of it, I feel capable of things that I didn't know I was capable of, you know, a couple of years ago. And I, I just hope my kids have the ability to have that same learning journey where they're pushing themselves into unforeseen and new circumstances and learning and growing as a result. For sure. Uh, we had Fred Destin on the show. He's a, one of the investors at Stride VC. And he talks a lot about the fact that you need to take risk in your life in order to actually kind of thrive, right? And I, again, I love your framing. That's going off the many tips that I steal from founders from this show. It's going into my own personal toolkit. But, you know, if you're in your comfort zone and you're not trying to venture out towards the danger zone, you're not going to be taking those risks which help you thrive. That's right. Well, look, thank you so much for your really honest and remarkably measured uh, take <laughs> on everything. I always love talking to founders that, like you that make me go, wow, she's got her shit together. I, I can't wait till one day. One, it doesn't one day feel I'll be that like way that. on my end. So I'm, ha I'm, I'm happy that's the perception you're getting. But believe me, on this side, it feels like chaos. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, uh, uh, that also makes me feel a little bit better too. So thank you. Um, but before you go, um, we like to wrap up the show with our usual segment, Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light on a startup founder, person, anyone in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Startup 
Shoutouts. Who's your shout out, Anastasia? I would love to give a shout out to Chris Edson from Second Nature. So Chris is an incredible entrepreneur and he's tackling a problem that is a really important one, which is how to use technology to help reduce and fight diabetes. So he has built an app and a business that is helping people build healthier habits around their food intake, all with the goal of reducing and hopefully one day eliminating diabetes. That is super cool. And I think we're seeing lots in the space about how nutrition is going to be a big part of us being a healthy species. And I love to hear when founders are doing cool stuff in that space. So they'll get a shout out in the show notes and on our social media. Wonderful. Amazing. Well, Anastasia, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. How can we find out a little bit more about you, what you're doing? Yeah, so creativex.com is everything sort of website related. I haven't yet gone into the kind of the active blogging space, mostly because of a lack of time. I do occasionally post on LinkedIn. So Anastasia Lang, I think it's A Lang, if you go to LinkedIn for me, but that, those are probably the two best places. And I just say thank you for having these conversations. For what it's worth, I think it's really important to normalize this behavior and destigmatize this idea that, you know, you, you somehow can't have kids or you're going to ruin your startup if you start to have a family around the same time. So I think it's great that you're doing this. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. That's the highlight of my day because it is something that I wanted to do. That was the whole point of the show. And when I hear that, it makes it very worthwhile. Yeah, thank you. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 